This is Paul Edwards. May 16, 2020, was Carl McCoy's 94th birthday. He's a former executive director of the Division of Blind Services, has served on the ACB board, but more than that has been a friend to me since 1977. It will be my pleasure to have him as my guest on the next edition of Tuesday Topics. If you'd like to join us with questions, come at 7.45 p.m. to our Zoom meeting. If you'd like to listen in, ACB Radio Mainstream will carry Tuesday Topics at 8 p.m. live on the Internet. Remember, silence is the enemy of truth. This is Paul Edwards, and welcome to Tuesday Topics. I am overjoyed to have as my guest, Mr. Carl McCoy. Mr. Carl McCoy, sir, how are you? I'm great, and I'm overjoyed to be with you. Well, that's excellent. And, and, I, and I need to start uh, by apologizing to Mr. McCoy for aging him an extra year. He actually just turned 93, not 94. And so we will give you your year back, sir. It, it will be our pleasure. Need it. <clears throat> yeah, I, I hear that. So Carl McCoy and I have known each other since 1977. And when we met, Carl was in charge of the rehab center uh, in Daytona Beach, Florida. And I had just moved to Florida from Trinidad. And uh, I, I think that uh, I discombobulated the center some when I got there. So maybe we could start, Carl, even though it really is probably nobody gives a damn, but what were, what were your first impressions of this upstart arriving from Trinidad? Well, just that, uh, as an upstart. And, you know, <laughs> I, I knew you, you needed some controlling. Uh, oh, I did. Uh, and, and I had a... You were very my, difficult. My, to <laughs> I was because I, because I wanted all kinds of things at once. And, and um, I, I ended up I ended up frustrating my original counselor to the point where she transferred me to somebody else and, and was very glad to get rid of me, I think. Um, but but uh, I, I, I got to know Carl, and he's the person who introduced me to ACB. Um, but let's talk a little bit about your early experiences. What was your first job, Carl? Well, it was, <clears throat> oh, my first job. My gosh, let me see. Um, my first job was tying box springs at seventy-five cents an hour. Yeah, <clears throat> and, yeah. I had a bachelor's degree, uh, but work. I and I spent first year out of college looking for work, and lived in Tallahassee. And once after a year of that, I told my counselor, "Hey, I can't find anything here. Is there something anywhere else?" <clears throat> and um, so he. Uh, got an opportunity for me to train as a box spring tire in Tampa, Florida. And so I, <clears throat> I moved there <clears throat> for that. That wasn't uh, what I would uh, intend to do the rest of my life, but anything would do. Um, <laughs> so exactly. That, uh, 
and and so I lived in a boarding house in Tampa, uh, actually for a couple of years. I only lasted as, as a box spring tire for about six weeks. Well, that's too bad. And what did you move on to from there? <clears throat> well, <clears throat> I <clears throat> my degree was in business, and so I wanted to be uh, um, in uh, stockbroker. And uh, I got a couple of interviews uh, with a couple of brokers in Tampa. I talked with them, and uh, if I if I could have done the job, I think they'd have hired me. But of course, that was way before computers, and to do the kind of job you needed to do a lot of reading, and so that was really out of the question. But they introduced me to a uh, fellow who uh, owned an advertising business in Tampa. So I talked with him. Well, I couldn't do his job either because, again, it required a lot of reading. He said, basically, what we do is read uh, other people's ads, and then we copy them, you know. And uh, uh, so, but he knew, I, he referred me to a radio station, and I talked to them about uh, selling advertisement on the radio. And so I worked for WEDK in about a year and a half. Excellent. And and when did you start working for the Division of Blind Services? A couple of years later, I um, um, they first uh, I was uh, operated a vending stand in Fort Lauderdale, uh, six weeks, and they had the opening for the the uh, instructor at the rehab center, which I had been to a couple of times, you know, right after high school, and uh, so. They hired me for that instructor position. And, and what did you instruct in? <clears throat> now, remember, we didn't have trained mobility instructors in those days. Right. And uh, this was in 56. And um, so I, I taught mobility. I taught uh, the uh, workshop uh, with, uh, with all the, the saws and lathes and that kind of stuff. And uh, taught Braille and... Anything else that might come up, you were kind of, uh, um, and I, I'm sure many of you would be interested to know that that was, that was back in segregation time. So we had uh, uh, black students for eight weeks and then a uh, week in between and white students. And it was during my last year there, uh, my third year, that uh, it, it was integrated. Excellent. So... So let's switch gears a little bit and talk about consumer organizations. When did you get involved in, in a blindness organization first? Well, that's when I first went to Tampa. <clears throat> uh, and um, Larry Thompson, who was a, a rehab counselor and uh, originally from Boston, and he was really the leader of the group. And there were five of us that organized a chapter uh, in Tampa. And we called ourselves the Florida Council of the Blind. And, uh, no, I'm not, that's not, we called it the Florida Federation of the Blind. Um, and, um, we had the, uh, uh person from NFB come talk to a, we got a, a much bigger group together, about 20 people. And George Card, who was a NFB at the time, came and spoke to the Tampa chapter. This was after. Uh, our chapter had been going for a couple of years, um, and um, he wanted us to join the National Federation. And uh, the organization wound up doing that. I objected and uh, actually dropped out of the local chapter for 
uh, when they decided to do that, and that, that was when I moved to Fort Lauderdale. Um, and uh, but Florida, became, it was the Florida Federation of the Blind until '71, uh, I think, when we changed our name to Florida Council. And and you weren't involved um, with ACB until '70 or '71, yeah? Actually, um, I moved to Kansas in '58 to the director of the uh, Kansas Center for the Blind and was active in, with the um, uh, Kansas chapter. <clears throat> and um, I was just active in the chapter. I wasn't active at all in the national organization um, uh, any of the time that I was out there. So I, when I moved back to Florida in 65, um, I, uh, with, there was a chapter in Daytona Beach, which I joined and uh, uh, was still called the Federation at the time. Um, but we had the the organization had been kicked out of NFB, uh, I think in the early '60s, maybe '61 or two. Um, and Larry Thompson was a president at that time, and uh, he was uh, he was a pretty aggressive fellow. And that uh, journey didn't like that much, so he he was kicked out, and, and so the organization was. And so um, I, from '65, I was active in the Florida Council. Excellent. And of course, just to confuse everybody, uh, originally the, the organization that provided services to blind people was also known as the Florida Council. Exactly. Um, and it was actually, it, we, we changed our name to the council two years after the agency changed its name and became a part of the uh, HRS in Florida. So we... So- once, once you became involved in the national organization, you ended up serving on the ACB board. Do you remember who was president then? Lloyd Qualls. Mm-hmm. Um, um, it was in 77 in um, Arkansas when I was elected to the board. And it was a long, long uh, session. It, um, I think the, the voting started for that particular office about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. It was 9 o'clock that night. Five yeah. front at the beginning. There, there, there were much longer elections in the old days than than there are now. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. What were what were the big what were the big issues that you remember in the seventies in ACB? You know, most of the time it was money. I mean, we uh, <laughs> really, we were living from hand to mouth in in those days. And the fact we if you if you're on the board, you paid your way to. The, uh, uh, to the meetings, um, so it was um, it was pretty much a starvation diet, and um, um, I don't uh, that, that you know that even then though we were we were uh, we had discussions about the ADA, uh, and uh, I call it the, the the golden years of advocacy because um, in the seventies and eighties that was a real big deal. It was, it was. Now, Carl tried to persuade me to go to the Miami convention, and I ne- and I didn't go. And in fact, I didn't attend my first ACB convention until 1984. Um, but but by then, Carl had got me well and truly involved in FCB. So um, I was pretty active at the state level um, between 1977 and 84. So got a, a, a huge opportunity to, uh, to to work closely with Carl. Carl, in the 70s and 80s, do you think that 
blind people were seen differently than they are today? Well, yeah, I think so. Um, and, um, uh, but, you know, it, it really dramatically changed uh, from the time, from the 40s and 50s, for goodness sakes. Uh, I guess I was always kind of a, uh, an advocate for myself, uh, mostly, uh, even, as a, even as a youngster. Um, I used to, and, and when I'd travel from uh, Tallahassee to St. Augustine, the school, uh, I always had to make a change in Jacksonville. And for some reason, and you know, here I, uh, I would sit on uh, a chair outside of the dispatcher's office waiting for the, you know, the next bus. And uh, somebody would inevitably come by and, you know, I remember one dropped a quarter in my shirt pocket. <laughs> and I, you know, and even I, I was so aggravated, I almost threw it back. At him. <laughs> I also I, I laughed it. But it, that kind of thing was the way uh, at least uh, younger people were treated. And yes. well, and and really, when uh, when I was in school, nobody knew what a blind person could do but get through school. And uh, you know, it, the beggars were the only ones that made money. The, uh, the panhandlers. And uh, there were lots. Well, now, were, were you a good, were you a good chair caner? No, I learned it. Yeah, you know that was one of the things you were taught in the school, uh, and uh, you, you know that, uh, and a broom maker. And yep. um, now, Carl went on to Tallahassee, and for a while, uh, un- until he retired, was director of the Division of Blind Services, and this was in the late eighties, Carl. Well, uh, 78 is when I moved to Tallahassee, and then I became director in 88. Yep. And I was director of Rehab, and then... How, how, would you, how would you characterize rehab in the, in, in the late 80s, early 90s, when, when you were kind of in charge and in your pomp, as it were? Well, uh, there, were, um, uh, uh, there were a lot more jobs in, in those days that, that people... Uh, could get, and um, it was um, uh, it was the beginning as, as, of the use of computers, of course, and uh, that was one of the desirable characteristics for lots of jobs. But vending facilities were a lot more profitable. Yes. And yep. There were uh, we had a number of people that went into uh, went in their own had their own business. Uh, one person in Tallahassee, for example, had uh, a rebel. Speak a little closer into your phone, if you would, Carl. He was a um, um, he had a rental uh, equipment rental business um, mm-hmm. in town. So uh, there were a number of people who had their own business. Uh, actually, one of them was a broom maker, but um, uh, a successful uh, shop anyway. And uh, so jobs were there were a fair amount of jobs. One of the problems I felt that I had a lot of people the, the more capable people, a lot of them were uh, drawing disability insurance, and the, the counselors would say they don't want to go to work. They, they, you know, they're they're making good. They've got maybe two or three kids or something. They're making a good thing in Social Security. I said, well, you know, let's uh, talk with them about maybe going to college and getting trained for you know a higher level of employment. No, they yep. don't want to go want to go to work uh, in a vending uh, stand and make. Uh, minimum wage or, or 10 or $12 an hour, but uh, maybe they'd be interested in doing something much more uh, complex. So um, 
so that was one of the issues that we had in those days. Do you think, and 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 you're you're perfectly allowed to say I don't have an opinion, but do you think that blind people in in the eighties and nineties uh, were more capable than than blind people are today as a group? Well, yeah, I think I'd have to say I, I know uh, the ones I know uh, were, and uh, I think they seem to be more motivated to uh, want to work. Uh, and I, I was one of the people who helped uh, advocate for Social Security disability. But I, th- I think it should have been designed a little differently uh, because that does, I'm afraid, encourage some people uh, to accept that and, and be happy with it. And yeah. I used to get really angry at the at the number of people who would put in just enough quarters and then decide they were going to quit their job because they could get SSDI. Um, right. And and it, it 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 bothered me a lot. But I think you're right. Do you think Do you think that attending blind school had had anything to do with the difference in in the way um, blind people uh, felt more motivated, say, thirty or thirty five years ago? Yeah, I, I, I do, and I, I know that will probably uh, offend a lot of uh, young people, and I've, I've known a number of uh, people who, you know, who, who went to public school and have done great, you know, so I'm, it's not a blanket thing. But I, I use my own example. Most of what I know about getting along as a blind person, whether it's mobility or what, I learned from other blind people. Uh, and I think that's one of the most valuable experiences that I've seen in the organization, the ACB and FCB. Uh, but I've, every convention I go to, uh, you know, I'm I'm going partly to learn, but it's to learn from others. You know, what are you what are you doing? What what are you uh, what are your new new tricks or new gadgets that uh, you you? So I think that's uh, I'm not sure where when you attend public school, I don't know who could teach you all those blind skills, although today you do have the professional mobility instructors and that kind of thing. But I, I still think that you learn a lot more. Well, I know I learned a lot more from blind people. So in 1990, um, the ADA is passed. What kind of difference do you think it made? Well, it made all the difference in the world, it seems to me, and, and, it, it, and it, it's continuing to, uh, to make a difference. Cause, you know, when you can uh, go to a, a hotel and, and uh, you can read the number on your door, that's, that's pretty doggone important. But I remember going to hotels in, during my working life and, uh, you know, wind up with a room on the sixth floor, and the truth is you couldn't even, if you, if you got in very late, and sometimes I did that, um, you know, nobody else on the elevator. You didn't know what floor you were getting off on. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, and and um, so and then obviously we learned tricks like uh, putting a rubber band around the knob on your door so you could at least know if you found it, you, you would know it was yours. Sometimes it was a, it was a pretty big chore just to find it. Uh, uh, so uh, you know, it's those. That seems like a small thing, but I guess the thing that <clears throat> Uh, motivated me for, to advocate for that when I was just, uh, I think, 24, 
and I got the job at the rehab center as a mobility instructor. They sent me to Chicago to for a couple of weeks training at the Heinz Veterans Hospital, <coughs> and uh, <coughs> and so I uh, uh, flew, of course, first time in my life. I didn't been out of Florida, by the way, or certainly on a plane. So coming back, uh, I got on the plane and. Stewardess comes back and says, um, Mr. McCoy, I'm going to have to deplane you. Uh, and I said, why? What's happened? She said, well, we can't take you uh, because you wouldn't know what to do if the place caught on fire. And I, I said, man, get here. I said, what would you do? She didn't answer me. And she just walked off. Uh, but I, I, I said, what would you do? And she didn't answer me. I said, well, let me tell you something. I bought a round-trip ticket to Chicago, and somebody's going to take me back. And so she left, and never she never came back. But I know damn well it was the captain, you know, who had made that decision. Yep. And, uh, so, um, and he could have put me off, I'm sure. Yes. And, and that's the scary part, isn't it? That, that, yeah, that right. we really had no control. We had no civil rights, really. Oh, no, right. Uh and so that stuck in my crawl ever since. And, you know, the, so I'm, uh, I was determined, like so many other people, uh, to at least get the right to, uh, you know, uh, to travel. Uh, and, uh, and it has improved, although uh, I have to admit I, I had trouble in um, going to Rochester last year in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, where they uh, they escorts were were not available anywhere so i missed the first plane oh but it, and that, that's that's I, I had a right to complain which i did and and uh, hope they gave you a meal and a refund they did and and uh five hundred dollars credit so for my next what? trip which i plan to use <laughs> so one of the things that that i should tell you guys about carl is all the time he was doing all these jobs, he, he also did a bunch of other things. Um, he always amazed me because he was really an entrepreneur. He owned a lot of rental properties. He, uh, um, he, was, he was engaged in a range of little businesses um, all the time that he was working at other jobs. I, I know you had rental properties. What other kinds of businesses were you in, Carl, while you were working for DBS? Well, that was, that was pretty much it. I, I, it. I've just been in the rental business. Uh, and, uh, so. so let me ask you one more question and then we're going to open it up and see what other questions people might have for you themselves. So my last question is, how would you compare uh, the ACB of the 70s to the ACB of today? Well, you've got a lot more money. In fact, more than you know what to do with uh, compare, by comparison. Um, but um, uh, and, and you obviously can do a whole lot more in terms of advocacy and uh, uh, support for the uh, local uh, affiliates and that kind of thing. So we're, we are certainly much uh, more influential uh, than we could have been at that time, although we, uh, I admire our advocates of that day, uh, Reese Robron, Sir uh, with yep. Daniel. Yep. So, so I lied. I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask you one more question. Um, if if there was if there was something um, that you think ACB should be working harder at, what do you think it is? I think I've put him to sleep here. 
Yeah, well, <laughs> uh, I'm not sure. We can we can always do more uh, advocacy, uh, and uh, perhaps they could uh, uh, give a little more support to local groups and uh, advocacy. Excellent. Thank you, sir. Mr. Rick? Yeah, thank you, Paul. Sheila. 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 Oh, my goodness. This has been so delightful. Thank you, Carl, for your service, for everything you have done. Um, My question to you is, your time in FCB has my two years as president made a difference in your opinion of where your thoughts have been because I have heard you and I have tried to do what you asked me to do. So I hope that I have helped with that. And where do you see FCB going in the future? Well, as you know, and uh, I'm always advocating for getting our local legislators at our convention because I think we're heck of a lot more influential when we are when we have friends in influential positions, Uh, and that's what what it's all about. Um, And we can't make friends unless we meet them and they meet us. And I know from past experience when a legislator or anybody comes to one of our conventions, if they haven't been introduced to blindness issues or blindness people until that time, they go away in awe. They are impressed by God that we can, you know, uh, find our way out of the bathroom. Uh, and so they don't expect very much. And so they, they're all, they're, they're shocked into surprise what, uh, what blind people can do. And that's what, uh, that's one of the major things, in my opinion, that, that conventions do uh, for, for us all, is we educate uh, those people that uh, participate in our convention, including hotel people, et cetera. So, uh, but I, you just don't do any, you don't get any advocacy done unless you know some influential people who will speak for you. Mm-hmm. Mr. Rick? Debbie? Miss Grubb? Well, hello. Hi, Carl. As as many of you know, I have the honor of uh, when Carl retired from what was, <clears throat> it is the FCB Legislative Committee, which we call, um, what is it, public education or something like that. <laughs> anyway, I took, I took it over as chair, and I have tried diligently, Carl, to make sure that every year we have a legislator, and we did this past year, and that is the main a lot in part due to your influence. And my question to you is this. As, do, you, do you feel that the political climate, I'm talking about the political climate in general, the working together of the two parties and in both the state legislature and in Congress. Um, How do you feel that has changed over time in terms of building bridges, building consensus, listening to people from different sides of the aisle, working together? How do do you feel that has changed and if so, how and why? And how do you think that affects our own personal advocacy as we advocate for ourselves and others in this organization? Well, I, actually, of course, I, I haven't been as active in advocating uh, with the legislators. I used to. 
Um, but I, I, I doubt that things have changed. I, I really, uh, I don't care whether they're Republicans or Democrats. Um, if you've got an issue that you can make, and, and you can convince them that you're not, you're not speaking just for yourself, but, uh, you know, we've got, uh, what is it, 20 chapters or whatever. Those are the kind of things I think that um, they say, oh, my God, there are that many people, you know, and, and this is issue, and y'all don't get, a, don't get a chance to do this. I, I think most uh, are, are willing to go to bat for us to, uh, to a degree. So <clears throat> you, you think there is room for blind people um, to be able to advocate advocate in spite of uh, the, the degree to which the two sides don't appear to be talking much to each other? Well, I, you know, I'm sure it would be time to get a consensus on any kind of issue, probably, because it really is in the last few years, three years, than I can ever remember it being. So, uh, yeah. you know, I, it'd be hard to accomplish much in the uh, uh, the national legislature. I don't think the state legislature did, but very partisan for sure. Yep. Rick? Yeah, Rachel, you're up. Okay, Carl, it's so great to hear your voice on this call. The last time I had a chance to talk to you was at dinner in St. Louis. And um, you. I want to thank you for always being a mentor. Um, you were president of FCB when I joined. And prior to that, um, I had really great experiences with you um, as a uh, director of DBS because I don't even remember what the issue was at the time, but I was in college or just getting ready to go to college, you know, kind of starting to fight my own battles. And I had a disagreement with something that was going on with DBS. And I called and I asked for the head and got you. And fortunately you answered the phone and took my call and you listened and you really made me feel like what I had to say mattered. And I wasn't just a blind person that didn't know what I was talking about. And I really have, that's always stuck with me. And I really appreciated that. And I think it ended up, whatever the issue was, which I, I, I'm glad I don't remember. I just remember the good part of it about it. Whatever it was, was resolved in my favor. And I always appreciated your handling of that. And for that and just the mentorship that you've always had within SCB has just um, really resonated with me. And I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Thank you. And I, I appreciate that compliment. Um, I, I, I guess, I guess I would say, Carl, that that really is your reputation within SCB uh, as, as a mentor. Carl, Carl really didn't seek very much for power and and he usually let debate go on for quite a long time um and he'd find a way uh to talk to a lot of us who were young kids uh about what we were trying to do and how we were trying to get there but one of the really amazing things about fcb and about carl's involvement with it was when when carl spoke the old folks the young folks everybody in the organization listened because Everybody knew that here was someone who was really speaking um, with with a considerable amount of thought, having already been given to whatever he op- opened his mouth about. Whereas some of us young pups would would get mad and we just start shouting and screaming. So um, I, I think 
probably the thing that that I took away most from uh, from you, Carl, uh, in in terms of my later leadership stuff was the ability the ability to listen well and and the ability to to try if I could uh, to be a mentor like you were. So um, uh, you taught me a lot, sir. Well, I thank you, Paul. I'm I'm, I'm I'm grateful for those comments. <clears throat> I, Mr. Rick. I, I hope that I've, I've tried to do that. <clears throat> yeah. Well, and you have always. It, it's, it's been really cool to watch. Mr. Rick. Yes, Deborah Kendrick, please. Deborah Kendrick. Well, Carl, I have to say I am not new to blindness or advocacy or ACB, but I'm kind of new to Florida and therefore new to you, and you are one cool dude. Um, <laughs> I really want to know you. Um, so I, I was kind of doing the math, and I thought, okay, I think I've figured this out right, math not being my strong suit, but um, if you're 93, then you were born in 27, so you kind of came of age around the time that the World War II veterans were coming home and being blind, and canes were kind of starting to be a thing, and the only other person who would be your age peer and blindness peer that I have known very well was Abraham Nemeth. And one of the things that was very startling to me about his young life was that he didn't have a cane. He, he, he walked, traveled independently without a cane because it just wasn't a thing. He wasn't given one and wasn't taught to use one until he was a bit older. So, I'd be really interested to hear about the, do you think, first of all, do you think that World War II had a positive effect on mobility and, and, and your life? And, and what was your intro, as you recall, to independent travel? What, what did that look like? That's a real good question. because that, and Yes, I do think World War II um, great deal to do. That mobility and the use of the cane. Um, uh, up until that time, it, it, I'll only remember being seeing uh, the old cane with the crook, um, you know, the old shepherd's staff, so to speak. And um, um, and my and when I was in school, you were uh, one of the things you were taught is you didn't use a cane. Uh, and uh, I think we learned a whole lot as a result of that. But I think it was um, uh, would have been we'd have been a lot more effective had they had they introduced us to the cane at some point in uh, our career. But um, I was introduced to the cane really when I uh, graduated from high school and went to the uh, rehab center in Daytona Beach, which was just getting they just got started in my senior year in high school, and uh, actually. They introduced me to the cane, but, you know, nobody really taught me how to use it that much. Um, so you kind of learn to do it on your own. And the guy that uh, uh, inspired me about mobility was another, uh, was a blind fellow. The second time I went to the rehab center in, during the summer, uh, there was a young man there. Uh, uh, God, now I can't call it one of the things at my age. I, I can't remember names very well. But um, anyway, uh, Jerry, Jerry Dunham was his name. He 
he was a he was a psychologist. He came, and they told me uh, the director said that he had hitchhiked from Michigan to Daytona Beach uh, to get to get that job. And I said, my God, if he can hitchhike that far, he's got a lot to teach me about mobility. And and he did. And uh, I was there, I think, for six weeks at this. And uh, Jerry and I, uh, he was single, and he's. And we would go out bumming around Daytona Beach every weekend. And I look back on that and say, yeah, the fact that I knew he did it inspired me to do it as well. So, and I was getting ready to go to college. And as you uh, indicated, that's when all those guys were coming back from the war. It was in 46. The University of Florida campus was built for 3,000 people. And that first year I was in school, I had 8,000 students. Um, Fortunately, I, there was uh, a fellow three years ahead of me uh, that I'd known in school for the blind, Albert Asenjo, and um, he made sure, he helped me get a, a room on campus. Otherwise, I would have been out eight miles out of town at, in an uh, abandoned army base. So yeah, I don't know that I would have made it had, had, if I had to do that. But it was bad enough. We didn't have enough play, uh, room in cafeterias. Uh, the lines were literally a block or two long and getting in there. Oh, anyway, it, it was a tough time, but I think I, I learned a lot from those young men, too. Excellent. Rick? Yes, Patricia, please. Hey, Carl, Daytona Beach waving at you. How are you? I'm good. How are you? <laughs> I am doing wonderful. I don't have a question per se, but I do want to say that uh, it's so good to, to hear you out here again. We miss you very much here in Daytona. Um, for those that don't know, Carl was residing in Daytona for a period of time, and we loved having him here. We loved him being a part of our chapter. And, Carl, I especially miss our oh, – we used to go out to lunch, and we used to go out to dinner, and we had such wonderful, interesting chats. And I just want to let you know I do miss you. And last but not least, I want to wish you a very, very belated 93rd birthday. And may you have many, many more. And you sound wonderful. Thank you very much. We miss you guys, too. Yes, Kelly James, please. Kelly from Orlando. Yes, uh, so I... Uh, I'm a, actually a counselor for DBS. I've been a counselor for nine years and I'm legally blind. And I totally agree with your statement, Carl, about um, the motivation of people wanting to go back to work. Um, and I actually, I also heard that sentiment from a, another uh, an assistive technology instructor that, that he was saying that, you know, even 20 years ago, the motivation was, was a lot better and a lot to go back to work than it is now. Um, and even when, and it's, it's kind of sad because, you know, the technology has, has improved so much that there's more out of the box tools that we can use, um, where there wasn't before. So it's very interesting to, uh, and sad to see the, um, outcome of, of a lot of adults, blind adults that don't really have motivation or, or also the employment, the employers that are not, um, open to hiring people because just fear of the unknown. Thanks for that, I, Kelly. I think, employers ahead, have, I think employers have learned that they can get a lot of good help for, you know, uh, for less than 40 hours a week 
Uh, and so a lot of people are signing on for those kind of jobs. Right. And then also there the programs that um, are supposed to be beneficial that DBS does and even AARP that where they have work experiences and things like that, where the employer can get can also get the, the help. They don't have to pay the, the employee. Somebody else is going to pay them. So that can be a, a detriment um, at some some point because the employers will jump on that. Oh, yeah, free. You know, we, if we don't have to pay pay any and have this person work with us for for a month or three months or whatever, you know, so that's, uh, it's supposed to be a good thing, but it, it's kind of taken advantage of. Thank you, Miss Kelly. Rick? Yes, Anisio, please. Oh, I wonder if this is Mr. Korea or Korea. I met Carl 45 years ago when I first attended the <clears throat> Daytona Rehab Center. And the, the experience of meeting him and being at the center uh, was really what, showed me the, the possibilities of using this field as a career. I've worked now for <clears throat> following 45 years throughout the East Coast, up and down. I am now retired in Florida, and I look forward to reconnect with Carl with, uh, within v, uh, FCB. Me too, Anisio. Me too, please. Thank um, you. We're so glad you're in Florida. Thank you, Paul. We're going to put you to work, man. <laughs> uh, Rick? Yes, Mary Tyson, please. Mary. Hey, Carl. Hi, Paul. Two of my favorite guys from FC. Um, Carl, I just wanted to tell you that um, we, we do miss you here, as Pat says, and um, that of all the things I was looking forward to at FCB convention this year, Having a beer after hours with you and talking and talking and talking is what I miss the most. And um, so thank you so much. I, you know, belated happy birthday. And I will say that I have learned so much from you. Just we, we didn't get to know each other really well, but I learned so much from listening to you. And I want to thank you for that. And Paul, I learned a lot from um, not listening to you. Only That's th- correct, Mary. <laughs> <laughs> Rick? You, you've done a great job yourself. I appreciate what you've done. Thank Boy, you. She sure, she sure has. She, um, she, she held a job for a long time and has now retired. I'm pretty impressed. Joe Tedder. Joe. Yes. Uh, earlier in the conversation, I heard some people bragging about how long they had known uh, Mr. McCoy. And uh, I just want to say that I probably have all of y'all beat. Uh, I've known him since 1962 when I was born. And we are extremely uh, proud of our Uncle Carl. And uh, I'm just, uh, it's a joy for me to have an opportunity to hear you talk. And we miss you. Hey, Joe, you, you're, you're, you're a real politician. You know he's going to get his word in. Thanks, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> And Joe, you're, you're Carl's nephew, is that right? That's correct. Well, we're so glad you were able to join us, sir. Well, thank you. It's my pleasure. He was Rick? the legislator in Florida for a number of years. Really? Yes, I got lobbied every day by Uncle Carl. It was hard to say no. Well, you, you, you never should. He, he never told me, though, or I would have lobbied you, too. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Joe. <laughs> Doug Hall, Rich. please. Doug, this is the, the frack to my frick. 
Um, I've known Carl since Joe, Joe beat me. I've known Carl since 1976 when Carl interviewed me to work at the rehab center as a counselor. And I wanted to mention that I I always remember one of the things Carl said to me when I was interviewing is that if you are hired, you will be an advocate. (laughs) Carl, you created a monster. Yeah. It well, it worked in your case, Doug. Yeah, I retired uh, seven years ago so that I could spend my time full-time advocating, and I enjoy doing it. But, uh, yeah, I, I, wanted to, I wanted to quickly mention, you know, Carl kind of mentioned it earlier. You realize Carl McCoy was not only early in the rehab center, he was in the first class at the rehab center when it formed in 1946. And, and, and it took place in an old army barrack, I think, Carl. Is that right? Carl, the, 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 the original rehab center was an old army barrack. Is that right, sir? Yes, it was. Uh-huh. Yeah, it was pretty amazing. Mr. Rick? Go ahead, Carl. Oh, it, it, uh, and uh, actually, we didn't get a really uh, uh, a building that was really built for the, for the purpose until 65, uh, and that's the year I moved back from Kansas back to Florida as director. Excellent. Uh, Mr. Rick? Mr. Chris Gray. Hey, Chris. Good evening, everybody. Carl, especially good evening to you. Uh, I had to come on here just to say, hey, if nothing else, I haven't seen you for a few years, but uh, it sure is great to hear your voice and bring back a lot of memories. A couple things I'd like to say, and they're not questions, but they're more comments and and thank yous. Uh, I met you... Uh, I remember the election, that many, many, many hour election you described when you got elected to the board. And of course, I got to know you a little bit better in uh, heaven in 77, our convention (laughs) in Miami. But uh, just a few things, reminiscences, uh, Carl's comments about getting to know legislators and working with them, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, you work with everybody that you can, and uh, he, he taught me a lot about that. Here in Missouri, where I'm at right now, uh, we've had situations where, well, we're a pretty red state, okay? So you probably already know that. And uh, I have made it my business to be friendly with any legislator who would help us and, and recognize that blindness is an issue that transcends political parties. And that's one of the reasons that we have been so successful here in Missouri and uh, and in MCB. And Carl, I remember some of those stormy days back in uh, the, the late 70s. We'd get into some real arguments on the ACB board. And I remember, uh, I remember one time you and Durward really got after each other at a board meeting. And 15 minutes after that meeting, I ran across the two of you laughing and having fun and caring for each other in the bar. And uh, he said, Chris, come over here and sit down. You need to talk with us a little bit. I'm going to buy you a beer. And uh, that's one of my happiest memories to see that people could disagree, but then come together right afterwards and, and make it up. So thank you for all you've done. Thank you for all you've taught me. And uh, I'm so happy to hear you tonight. Well, I remember you being a young sprout, and you were quite an advocate yourself. And 
you interned at the in the Washington office. Didn't yes. You? So that's uh, you know, yeah. I remember you. You were uh, very outspoken. Very uh, um, you you knew everything, of course. Then <laughs> <laughs> I've learned a little bit more than that over the years, but <laughs> then, yeah, Edward and I were we were always good friends. I I thought the world of him. In fact, I, I, the one thing I remember about Durwood, I think he must have known every blind person in the country. Uh, I never could mention a blind person that he didn't already know. And, <laughs> and I don't know whether it was in Florida, Kansas, or where, but um, he really quite a brave for that kind of thing, and was a great—he was a great advocate for sure. Yes, indeed. Thank you, Chris. Rip. Yes, phone number 5829, please. Yeah, hi, Carl. My name is Peter Alster. I'm also from Missouri, Columbia, Missouri. And uh, I've, I'm sorry to say I've never met you, um, but I am very much appreciative of the work you've done for the blindness community and for the American Council of the Blind, and I wish I had met you. My question is, I think we're going to be going through some massive changes over the next year and a half to two years. I think, I think advocacy is going to be much more important, and I think we're going to need to advocate in, for many different constituency groups. And my question to you is, what's the best piece of advice you can give us as we go through these major changes and try to advocate for our, for our needs? Well, I, I, I think it's, it's pretty simple. You just find the right people and go talk to them. And, I've, you know, I've always found that um, they, were, they were pretty welcoming in terms of talking with you. Uh, I, um, uh, I, I, I have to tell people that uh, I know, uh, y'all know, um, well, what they call Morning Joe, yep. uh, Joe's congressman back in, uh, I think, maybe 2001 to 2005 or something like that. He was a uh, representative from Pensacola. And um, uh, I'll never forget, and, and he was fairly new. I think we were advocating for more mon- funding for independent living. And when I went to his, my wife and I went to his office and was talking to the person, you know, that welcomed you to the desk and that, and that's oftentimes that's as far as you're going to get, um, especially the first time. And um, so he came out and, and uh, uh, saw us and invited us into his office. He ordered coffee for us. And, yeah, we spent about an hour talking to him about, uh, as I say, I think it was independent living. And so that's pretty unusual, of course. You're not going to get that uh, very often. But if you can get that one person that interested, uh, I think he gets other people interested, too. So, um, but I, just going and talking to people and and re- maybe calling them back, uh, thanking them, anything you can do to maintain that that he remembers you and hopefully remembers you well. <laughs> so, uh, uh, and and you know you have to enjoy that kind of thing. Uh, I like I enjoy meeting influential people, uh, and so it's it's really important to. To look that up, and 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 you and you can do it as long as you enjoy doing it. Excellent, Mr. Carl. We are approaching our hour, so I want to thank you very much for having spent this time with us. Uh, I know you've heard from loads of people uh, just how important you've been in the evolution of a lot of the, the the way that we think and a lot of and a lot of the way that we advocate. So on behalf of the American Council of the Blind and really on behalf of 
of, of Tuesday Topics as well. I want to thank you so much for having spent this time with us. And let me see if you have any final thoughts for us in the last minute that we have left. Well, I, 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 uh, I appreciate being asked and given this opportunity. I, I, um, uh, uh, it was good to hear all those good friends out there and to, to feel like maybe you did make a little uh, contribution along the way. And I did it because I enjoy doing it. Uh, I really have to say that um, I tell people I had the best job in the world. Uh, for 40 years, I had a job that I was happy to go to work. Darn near every day. It wasn't every day, but uh, uh, but it came pretty close to being every day that I enjoyed going and dealing uh, with people. And uh, it was always a positive, a real victory for me and a, and a real positive thing when I could see another blind person having success. So it's great being with you, and I'll continue to be with you as long as I'm uh, able to get up and get about. So, and I'm grateful for being 93 and still being able to uh, being healthy so far as I know. And I contend that I plan to keep on keeping on. Excellent, sir. Next week on Tuesday Topics, we will be having Deborah Kendrick as our guest, who's written a new book on blind people dealing with the medical system. And there is a new program that's going to be starting uh, on the internet called visibility and visibility vis stands for visually impaired seniors and it'll be thursday at seven and there'll be information out about it tomorrow everyone thanks so much for listening tuesday topics has enjoyed having you remember your opinion is a terrible thing to waste thanks paul